This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. This is Film Study with Ken McCusick. Uh, the second episode of the week for week 12 when we look at the offensive play. Uh, there was It was a 23-16 to 16 victory, so there was at least some offense. But Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Uh, you here to apologize for Flacco? <laughs> Life's good, Josh. How are you doing? I, can't, I won't apologize for Flacco, not directly. We'll talk a little bit about we, it. We, we've got to get a little bit into Flacco and... Uh, and what to take with this offense now that suddenly the Ravens are in the driver's seat for a, a playoff slot. Yeah, they had they were last week as well. Just right. Baltimore fans didn't want to admit it to themselves. Now we can get a little bit closer to it, even though that Buffalo win was a setback for the Ravens this week. Yeah, but you know what? The, the Ravens won two in a row, and we've got we've to gotta take what we can take, and um, no one thinks Buffalo is going to stick around. That's true. 
That is true. No one thinks it. But it did really reduce the Ravens' chance to get in at 8-8, eight and eight, which was unfortunate. So did the Chargers right. win last week as well. Well, hopefully we're not talking about an 8-8 eight and eight team. Hopefully it's a uh, much better season than 8-8. Eight and eight. I'm tired of these 8-8, eight and eight, 500 seasons and not really knowing what to, what to take from the season. Uh, Monday Night Football, though, it's a big stage. And it's, this is the first time the Ravens have had, hosted a home Monday Night Football game uh, in five years. It's 2012 opener where they destroyed Cincinnati that year. But, yes, it's been, been a long time. Right. So the Ravens, they, they came prepared to want, to want to show off, want to get the attention um, of the national media in a time now where I think the NFL is just Ravens and all, and all are down on the NFL the Ravens are trying to get some excitement going in the city of Baltimore for them. They came out with a brand, brand new field. They redid the field, came out in their black jerseys, uh, a lot of pregame excitement. And then the offense goes three and out uh, before you can even I, – I missed the first drive because by the time I turned the TV on and got it to the right channel, the off, it was over. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there have been a few drives like that this year. So uh, that was one of them. Right, um, but the, but as we're, we're going to talk about the offense, and we're going to talk about Joe Flacco's struggling, but the offensive line had a great night. They did. They had a, they had a very fine night, and uh, you know some of the metrics we usually use will go to those, for starters, that they had uh, ample time and space on 21 of 33 draft box for Joe. They allowed one sack and one quarterback hit, but not a single pressure the entire night, which is very impressive. Uh, Joe had some ball-out-quick situations where he either threw a screen pass or a swing pass. It was out quickly before pressure would have developed. But other than that, the, the, uh, the line held up very well and gave him some nice long pockets to work with. Yeah, uh, and that's the problem, though, isn't it? Long pockets, no pressure, and he s- still struggled to, uh, to find someone. Uh, but without talking to Joe right now, what, where was Jeremy Macklin on Monday night? Yeah, I, I think he was. I think he made the team bus and all, but uh, but we didn't see him much. That's for sure. There was, the, I think there was one pass to him in the first quarter, and I believe then there were no attempts for the rest of the game. Oh wow! Now I did not realize it was that bad. I'll have to bring it up and we'll take a look. Oh, at I, it Oh, I know it was that bad because I had a fantasy <laughs> matchup, and for some reason Macklin's on my team, and I was playing against my brother, who had. Uh, uh, now I'm blanking. He had someone on the defense, not Suggs. Um, oh, he had he had C.J. Mosley on the defense, okay. and C.J. Mosley scored way more points than Macklin, who never saw the ball. And that is not how it was projected to turn out. I I can imagine. So, yeah, f- uh, five targets, one reception for Macklin for right. six yards, and they were all in the first quarter. They had to be because I was getting irritated <laughs> that Macklin. What I was not seeing Macklin on the screen. All but right. you know what? Five targets and only one. Uh, reception isn't that kind of the state of the Ravens' offense, and that's that's kind of why Macklin disappeared. It's hard for Joe to trust these guys. Well, I I think trust is an issue. A lot of the times, targets means Macklin was at the sideline or something, and and Joe threw the ball away. So you can't. Not all these are on Macklin or anything, but okay. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it it certainly it's not a good percentage of catches per target, and uh, you'd like that number for a wide receiver to probably be north of fifty percent. But, uh, but it's not, obviously, so uh, it is what it is. What I will say is I saw an interesting thing out in Russell Street Report that was showing 
uh, effectively maybe a second after the snap or something, the guy had taken pictures of the top view, which is the one from the sideline. All right. Uh, and and it had he made some interesting points, and I assume he went through and looked at all these that the uh, routes were extremely basic, just a bunch of ten yard comeback routes and this and that. There's more to it than that in this game. The 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 Ravens actually ran a lot of one, two, and three man routes. It was really a throwback offense to about 2008. In Joe's rookie year, they did a lot of what we would now call max protect or max plus protect, where they would have three men staying in, it would be a max plus, and a, and a max would be two. Uh, you only have five eligible receivers, so when you hold them in, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cost. Virtually never, except on a goal line situation, do you see everybody kept in except for one receiver. And the Ravens had that happen at a, on one of the early plays of the game. It was a 24-yard pass to Wallace. They kept everybody in. They ran Wallace on one slant route. And, uh, and he caught the ball and, and went 24 yards with it. So you can still have offensive success if you only have one guy in the route. But it has to be a carefully planned play. I got you. Um, the Ravens did attempt to open the ball up and throw the ball deep, and Joe was not able to connect with the guys. How concerning is that for a guy who's been known for years for that long ball? Yeah, it, 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 was, it was tough to see. I mean, you, you don't expect him to hit every single one, but you expect him to have enough opportunities, even in one game, that he can hit one. And he probably had two long balls in this game. The one down the middle, the Wallace, is the one that's really sticking out in my head now that, that was wide enough open and, and really could have been caught. Or, or sorry, you know, should have been connected on, right. I should say. But, uh, but yeah, it was it was a... Another fairly difficult game. The ATS opportunity set, which we haven't done much with this year, right. said he should have had about 216 yards based on his 2010 through 2016 averages, and he actually had 133 net yards. So a, a, a bad game, a, a conservatively called game. Right. I think Joe was very upset with the way the game was called. But you know they had enough time in this game, and they might not have anticipated it, but they did have enough time to have some of those great intermediate routes. But they didn't—they didn't have a lot of them baked into the game plan. They didn't have a lot of intermediate throws that were even really attempted in this game. Right, Joe. Joe is on pace for one of his career worst seasons, and that's frustrating. But we we need to turn this, and we need to talk about some some positive stuff, and that is the offensive line. Uh, John Gruden kept praising Clowney and he's saying he's mm-hmm. going to be the biggest paid guy in the NFL outside of a quarterback Clowney 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 uh, Clowney got some penetration early in the game and then they seemed to quiet him down yeah they they shut him right down so he got a he got a quarterback hit let me, let me look at my chart here third play of the game he got a quarterback hit so that was right when you were turning the TV on so you would have missed that one Josh yes. and then uh, yeah, no I exactly. saw that I saw the defense come out I missed that opening offensive drive Right, he's on the offensive drive that Clowney got the quarterback. Oh hit. yeah, that that would make sense. I missed that. So so the second drive, um, he Flacco had to throw the ball quickly on third and eighteen, and they weren't going to get the first down anyway. But he ended up throwing a six yard pass because Skiro was unable to pick up the stunt from Clowney. And because it was third and eighteen, so that's what Joe would do is throw it six yards. There there you go. So the ball was out quickly anyway. I didn't charge Skura on that play, but but it was another play where Clowney had, had would have impacted it if Joe had held the ball longer. And then the next drive, he ended that one also with a sack minus eight, where he stunted by Jensen, and it so happened that at the same time, uh, Skura held his guy, Bernardrick McKinney, 
who would have also gotten to the quarterback just about the same time. So I, I, I left that sack charged evenly to both Jensen and Skura, but Skura actually got a higher charge because of the holding the call penalty. on that play. Yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, that's the first three drives. He's had a big play each time. The fourth drive, that's when... Uh, sorry, the third drive, that last play was the one Ronnie Stanley was out. At that point, 7 to nothing. Clowney's dominating the game. It certainly looks like the Ravens are in a hell of a lot of trouble because they, they hadn't come back from being down in a game the entire year. And then to begin quarter two, the third play with a, on a first and punt play, Clowney backed up Stanley, bowled him right back into the backfield, and blew up a run for minus two. Again, it looked terrible, but that was the end of Clowney's night on that particular play. He did not have a significant impact on any additional plays, and the Ravens' offensive line took it from there. They scored on that drive, and they uh, continued on to uh, win the game. I wouldn't say handily, but uh, they they managed the game effectively so that the defense could could, uh, more or less win it for them. All right. Um, all right. Well, I looked. I went over to Russell Street Report today, and you've already got your offensive grades and everything up there. Uh, you titled it "Party Like It's 2008," uh, which first reminded me that Joe Flacco was here in 2008. He's been this quarter as I don't. I think people have been calling and complaining about Joe Flacco in the talk radio since 2008. But <laughs> I mean, for a guy who he's having a bad year personally, but we've got to give him a little bit of credit that he's been, he's stabilized a position that was not stable before him ever in Baltimore. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, we almost had the old Browns jersey of all the quarterbacks since 1999 here in Baltimore, and there's some, just some terrible players in there. Mallet, Mallet and Case and Clawson and Schaub and uh, we, Redman. We, and, oh yeah, we, we, we complain. Don't <laughs> we, we totally complain every time we see Joe fl- throw off that back foot. And it's irritating because we know it doesn't work for Joe. But then I think of Kyle Bowler who, who would yeah. fall over that back foot. Yes, that's right. That's exactly what he'd do. So, and, yeah. It, we, it, don't, we don't need to go down that dark path. Remember, he could throw the ball through the goalpost from his knees. That, that's, he had no, the he cannon. Saw that. He just uh, he had no idea where a passing window was. Absolutely no clue. Plus, no idea where it where he held the ball in relation to his knee. He must have had five or six fumbles <laughs> in his career where he need the ball out of his own hand. Yes, yes. So, Not very coordinated for a quarterback. <laughs> uh, but but let's talk about this 2008 season because it was a successful season for the Ravens. They went 11 and five. Yeah, it was it was a hell of a special season. It was a great Ravens defense that year. Not unlike this one. Uh, it was a very young Ravens team, and particularly on the offensive line. If you go across that line, a lot of people you know, don't remember exactly when Orr and Burke and players like that came together. So the 2008 season was kind of special in its own right. And I want to go from left to right here. All right. So Jared Gaither was in his second year, and Jared Gaither at that point still cared about football. And he played very, very well in 2008 and 2009. Then the Ravens decided they didn't want him to be the left tackle anymore. They moved over to right tackle, and he gave up probably on life, but he certainly gave up on being a left tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, the Ravens had to get rid of him before uh, before any more damage was done. So anyway, Gaither was a terrific left tackle in 2008 and 2009. Left guard, they had Ben Grubbs, who'd just been drafted the year before. I remember being very upset about that pick because 
had they been one higher and the 49ers not traded in front of them, they could have gotten Joe Staley, which would have been also a great pick. But but Grubbs was a, a, a fine player and, and did his job in Baltimore for the years he was here, left in free agency. The years he was here, he's a good good guard and a really good pulling guard at that point. So at center, they had just moved Jason Brown there after Brown had been successful at guard before. And Jason Brown uh, was a very big center, much in the mold of Jensen uh, in terms of being large enough physically to handle just about anybody that you could stack up a nose tackle against him. Uh, he, he played well in 2008, and he kept another good player off the field, which we'll get to in, a, in just a moment. At right guard, they had a right guard controversy, if you want to call it that, but Chris Chester had moved over from center. He's the guy that, that uh, Brown bopped off the center job. And he took over at right guard. Well, the problem was the Ravens also had Marshall Yonda available. And somehow it took the Ravens 12 games to figure out that Marshall Yonda was really their guy. And then when they finally did, Marshall Yonda went off on the Steelers that year like, uh, like it was nobody's business and uh, uh, looked really good. And, he's, and he, you know, he hasn't stopped since, obviously. He's headed for the Hall of Fame. Right tackle that year is the one that a lot of people forget. Willie Anderson came over from the Bengals for one year. Now, Willie Anderson was a three-time All-Pro who played 12 seasons with the Bengals, came over to the Ravens, bonded immediately with Ray Lewis as a a leader of the offensive line. In a lot of ways, reminds you of Austin Howard a little bit today in terms of a veteran player coming to the team. Anderson had had a fair amount more success, to be fair, but but a a good player, uh, both of them very good players. And both of them very similar players because Anderson, at that point in his career, was a ponderous elephant of a player who used his arm length in, in pass protection as much as he could, but had, had quite slow feet, and they had to do certain things to, to cover him up and protect him. That's where we get. I'll take a breath. Any questions so far? No, I'm following along. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm right. assuming you're reading this and not bringing this all from memory. because this no, is, this is, I, I, I'm bringing it all from memory. Right. This is, this is the story impressive. of my life in a way. So, Okay, so anyway, the... the uh, um, what I want to talk about next year. The, the, the Ravens employed a very different offense back then. They, they really, in Flacco's rookie year, wanted to actively take the ball out of his hand. They played all sorts of max protect. They did a lot of unbalanced line formations, which they did to cover up, uh, I want to say Eric Williams, but that's not the guy, uh, and Willie Anderson on the right side. Okay. Uh, so they would tuck him in the way they are tucking in Howard now when they move Stanley to the other side or, or any time when both tackles play on the same side. It'll be Austin Howard on the inside and, and um, uh, Stanley on the outside. So anyway, the, the uh, uh, defense play, sorry, the offense played a lot more jumbo lines. They played a lot more unbalanced. The jumbo line that year, a lot of people remember, featured Haloti Nada at the goal line frequently in a seven-lineman formation that just no team found a way to stop effectively. And for three years, Nada and that, that particular line formation had just their way with the rest of the NFL in terms of scoring in, from uh, uh, the three-yard line and in pretty much. Right. That, uh, those are some big guys. Those are, those are some big guys. It was very fun to see Nada on the, other, uh, on the edge along with somebody else on the edge that, uh, that would be very effective. He's usually Nada and Gaither were next to each other. If they if they played it unbalanced, right. so that was good. Um, what else do we want to talk about? The, they had a fullback. 
uh, in that era, Lorenzo Neal, and he was a full-time fullback. The guy did nothing else. Uh, the only other thing he might have done, played at any point of the team, was been a special team wedge player, but basically had no special teams responsibility either because that's, that's a very limited role. Right, and, and you mentioned that as in that era because fullbacks are rare now in the fullbacks, NFL. A full-time yeah, fullback especially. That, that's right, and they were just starting to get rare then. So, so it was a it was probably half the team still utilized two back sets a lot of the time. And Lorenzo Neal was the last of a dying breed of great fullbacks, and he'd, he'd been to the Pro Bowl a number of times. The Ravens already had a fullback of their own in Leron McLean, who they sometimes used in a two back set as the fullback, but most of the time he was a tailback that year, and he actually led the Ravens in rushing yards with over 900. So. You know that that was a little similar to Ricard, who right now people are calling him this hybrid two-way player and whatnot. But he hasn't had a defensive snap now since Week Six right. against the Bears. They, they've settled him down on the offensive side. Yeah. yeah, it sure does look that way. I'd I'd like to see one of the things that stood out in practice this summer was that the the defense always wears the white jerseys and the offense always wears the the purple jerseys for practice, so they okay. can tell each other apart. Well, anyway, they, they put in Ricard at fullback, and all of a sudden, this guy with a white jersey is lead blocking against another guy with a white jersey kind of thing. Oh, like he didn't? He wasn't switching jerseys between sides. No, 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 he wouldn't switch jerseys, but but that'd be too much. But so they just brought him in to play fullback on on these situations, and it looked really weird. But uh, but I would like to know now if if he's at practice, if he's wearing a white or purple jersey right. at this point in the season. My guess is he's probably switched. I would assume uh, so. Yeah, based on how they're doing it on Sundays. Yeah, <laughs> look right. So, uh, what else is, was there about the 2018 that was interesting and similar? I think check, the other checkdowns. Yeah, uh, well, that's that's a good point. Is uh, there, Joe has always had some checkdowns, but the one route that was Joe's bread and butter in 2008 was a 10 yard hitch route on the sideline, and he had unbelievable timing with Derek Mason on that. So he would be constantly going to the sideline, back shoulder. The ball was right there. Mason knew exactly when to cut. And they were just on the same page, and it was beautiful. It was it made Joe's rookie year much easier for him, and and, and that's, he that's, really did, that's the key. This is Joe's rookie year. This is yeah. the year he wasn't supposed to start. That's right. He wasn't even wasn't even planned. But he developed that rapport quickly with with uh, Mason, and it's too bad that he hasn't found that rapport with another receiver this year. It could be Macklin, but because Macklin is a slot guy, he's not ideal. One of the outside guys, Perriman or Wallace, would be appropriate. Right. We're starting to see it a little bit with Wallace. Yeah, we know it wouldn't be Perriman, but but we but we could see it with Wallace. But you know, Wallace, of course, you know, like anybody, wants a a variety of routes, and uh, and uh, probably wouldn't be entirely happy if he were a, a big hitch route guy. Whereas Mason was a pure possession receiver, not really a deep threat in the same sense uh, that Wallace is. Right. So okay, uh, you're you're starting to see some of the similarities there. The other thing that that Flacco had. And he still has now with with Watson is and and he had before for many years with with Pitta was a tight end that he liked to throw relatively short passes to over the middle, try and get them even with the linebackers and get a big play occasionally. And he's done that with Watson some this year. He's also thrown a lot, a whole lot of underneath passes to Watson that haven't gone anywhere. Uh, and Todd Heap was the guy back in two thousand eight and. Uh, a lot of people remember Todd Heap's big catch of two thousand eight was the one that converted the third and two after delay of game probably should have been called at the Tennessee divisional playoff game. And that right. with a with the game tied at 10, the first down to Heap set him up in field goal range or got him close enough that they could get in a field goal range with one more run from the Gahey. So uh, very, 
very interesting thing. It really looks like they dummied down the offense largely for Clowney, but 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 to handle the pass rush in general, perhaps, uh, to make sure that Joe was going to feel less pressure in this game and would have more pocket time. And that part worked. But what didn't work is he, did, he wasn't then able to convert that into quality opportunities at, of medium distance, which are the ones that will really increase his yards per play. Okay. Um, of course, that team, like we said, went 11-5, and five, so I'm just going to go down here when we talk about the rest of the schedule later and put that you're predicting an 11-5 and five season <laughs> from the Baltimore Ravens. You know, this is, when, this is the point where the 2008 team really turned it on. They had a, a nice uh, – wait, wait, I'm, think, I'm thinking about the wrong team, I think. The 2009 team was really the one. They, the 2008 team was 2-3 and three after week five and came back to be 11-5, and five, so they did go 9-2 and two down the stretch. Okay. Um, and we're going to talk about that stretch at, uh, near the end of the, the show because I want to talk about that stretch for the next uh, four games, five games? Five games. We're six and five. So five more games left that we're going to talk about. Right. Um, but it, 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 it's nice to look at uh, kind of a positive like that and look back and say, all right, well, for all the frustrations we've had this year, there's some similarities to a good team. Yeah, to a good team. They have won with this oh, formula before. That's what I'd say. They, they, they have won largely with this formula. I will say I don't think the offensive line currently is as good as the 2008 offensive line. But it's, but it's, right. it's good enough, and they've made a lot, and it's well coached this time uh, in, a, in a way I really like. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. I think that you know, the best thing you can say about it is, yes, they've won this way before. Right. Um, yeah, of course, it's been nine years. The NFL changes. Uh, the way the game is played always changes a little bit. Like we talked about the, the lack of a fullback. So it's interesting to see, well, is this, is this way going to work again this year? Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get back to this year. Let's talk about this past game a little bit more. And let's go through this offensive line like we always do. Go through the uh, scoring. Go through the guy who scared all of us early in the game when, when he went down for a little bit. Ron right. Stanley. I, I get I get so upset about injuries when they happen on the field. There's, there's a lot of profanity involved. There's a lot of oh my god. So anyway, Stanley went down. It looked like a very bad injury because he's holding his knee. As right. soon as I see that, you know, you get upset. Um, and he left the field. He left the field very slowly, and he went to the clubhouse. Right. I uh, my assumption was well, hopefully we have him back for next week. Yeah, that that would have been, you know, I would have taken that certainly, regardless of what the results might have been in this game, had he not been there, and I don't think it would have been good. But amazingly, I didn't even notice he came out for the next drive. You know, but I did notice, of course, the Ravens are, are, are moving the ball. And then all of a sudden I saw the replay of the touchdown, which was, which was run in by that scrum play. You know, the large rugby scrum where two or three of the Ravens' offensive linemen, including Stanley and Skura and Hurst, got behind and pushed it while Ricard was pulling it. And they managed to get uh, Allen across the goal line as far as, the, as, far as you know. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. So... Um, anyway, that that uh, that drive, I, I finally noticed that Stanley was in the game when he's pushing the rugby scrum in, and I, you know that was the big deal to me. It wasn't that they scored a touchdown. It's oh my god, oh, Stanley's back in the game. See, you saw that yeah. Stanley was back in the game. I'm pretty sure that everyone else on Twitter saw someone else in that scrum doing more offensive work than he's done all season. You know who that is? <laughs> uh, Rashard Perryman was right in there pushing along. Oh no, I missed that. Okay, oh, yeah. Perryman. <laughs> Had had finally had something to do to help the offense positively. He was in there, there pushing. 
he he almost made he almost made my top three for pushing that pile in because I thought it'd be nice to pair him in. Yeah, I, I was I was positive on just about everything, but then Jensen uh, dove into that pile like it was a mosh pit oh, at the that end. That concerned without, me. Without actually having any ability to push the guy across the goal right. line, he was just jumping on him for a touchdown celebration, effectively. <laughs> well. And that's that's when it came to me, and that was when I when he saw that I was sure a penalty was going to take the touchdown away or something with oh, Jensen yeah, good point. because Jensen does stupid things like that where I feel like he can't control himself sometimes. Where I just right, well, want a little more discipline from Jensen. I love Jensen a little bit, just a little bit more uh, brains. Okay, we'll come back to him in a minute because I got a, I got a point to make on that as well. But let's talk about Stanley for yes. a second. So he got a lot of clowny in this game, and he uh, allowed a shared quarterback hit to clowny, and then he he got allowed clowny. clowny to from clowny, yeah, yeah. from clowny. From, Flacco did not hit him, right? No, Stanley allowed it to Clowney is what I'm okay, saying. Okay, so he got allowed him to get the the quarterback hit. Gotcha. That's that's right. So he, he actually had a swim move. He, he swam over Stanley, then he swam over Hurst with the other arm. It was pretty impressive, beating of a double team. But uh, but anyway, it was one of the one of those plays. And then he also backed uh, Clowney backed up Stanley once to blow up a play for a loss of two. So that that costs uh, Stanley points as well. But from that point forward, Stanley had 41 plays after that penetration event. And he only missed three blocks after that. So he went 38 of 41. A lot of that was against Clowney. He was very effective. It uh, worked out that uh, Stanley uh, did not allow a single pressure. Nobody did for the game. And uh, .86 per play was his score. When I adjust up, I gave him the full maximum adjustment possible. And that works out to be .96 and an A for Stanley. So Stanley's second best game of the year. The only other game he had that was as good was Oakland. That's awesome. Um, I James Hurst, I believe he got a flag really early in the game. Uh, he was holding. If I'm yeah, correct. he had a holding call in level two. When was that? It was in the third quarter. Uh, okay, then I'm thinking yeah. of someone else early in the game. All right, yeah, well, it would have been James, Skura. Oh uh, yeah, Skura when he was holding Clowney. That's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Okay, so so Hurst uh, had had this holding call in level two, really ticky tack hold. It. I looked at it about three times, and I thought first because Williams had moved up into Hurst's spot that Williams might have been the one called for a hold, and the, the, the official just missed the number because they expected Hurst to be at that left guard spot. But I think they did actually call it in level two. It was a very trivial call. He basically hit a small man in the shoulder, might have gotten a tiny pinch of jewelry, and, and the guy spun of, of uh, not jewelry, <laughs> we've had too much of that lately, of jersey, <laughs> and, and he spun him to the ground and, uh, and got, the, got the flag. So other than that, though, Hurst had a great game because he did not allow any, I'm sorry, he did have one half of a QH and one half of a penetration otherwise, but uh, scored very well, a B after adjustment, and a very nice positive game from James uh, on his return. He had six of seven pulls made, so he's now up to 34 of 41 in that category, something he's really excelled at this year as a guard and uh, and really tells me that his agent should be looking for a spot for him as a guard and not a tackle next year. Okay. Um, all right, Jensen, the brains of the line. Let's get to him. <laughs> you know, I'm sure J- Ryan is fairly a fairly smart guy. I've heard him speak, and he really sounds it. I know I'm he, sure he, he just gets a little excited. <laughs> I, and, I, and I like that. I like the I like the energy that he plays with. I like that when. Flacco got hit. He comes in and defends his his quarterback. I like all that. 
just the the penalties concern me. Okay, well, the, the diving definitely concerned me. But I'll tell you what, the penalties have actually been very good. Since week one, when he was flagged three times for holding in week one, despite all of the immense extracurricular activity he's been a part of and instigated, right. he has not been flagged since. Not for any penalty, okay. not for a false start, not anything. All right, so, so keep it up, Jensen. I'm, I'm scared, <laughs> but you obviously know where the line is. He, he does, and you know what he does really well? He keeps his hands at his side after the play is over, and the shoving has started. So he'll he'll go ahead and he'll continue to block. And then when the other guy starts to get pissed off and either throws punches like Edwards at Oakland did yeah. or or swings back at him in some sort of sissy open-handed slap deal or whatever it starts happening, then he puts his hands in his side and, you know, it's like, what's going on here? Oh, so he, he tries <laughs> to draw the penalty. Yeah, that's right. That's He's he's very good at, at knowing how to do that. So I, right. I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, Heard good things, uh, uh, seen good things from him, I should say. All right, so, but, but he, in this he game, struggled. He struggled a little bit, and and of the linemen, he probably had the least impressive game, but he was still solid enough. And you know, in anybody else's system, a C minus is a really terrible grade. In my system, a C minus is okay. You you want to avoid fall off the table games. You want to avoid games where you're terrible. But he had a C minus game, and they they focused some activity from both Clowney and McKinney through the middle. That was a little harder for him to handle, and and uh, that resulted in a in one half a sack and a couple of uh, penetrations for losses on run plays. He actually gave up two and a half of those. So the center scoring is fairly unforgiving. He got a C minus. I you know it's it's not something that worries me at this point. And uh, hopefully uh, he he got his elbow a little dinged up. It looks like on one of the last plays of the game, and hopefully there's nothing serious there. But uh, but uh, he did look like he was in some pain writhing around on the ground near the end of the game. So uh, we'll see where that goes. So if a C-minus does not worry you, I, uh, I wish that was the same for my parents when I was in high school. Because uh, <laughs> well, I could handle that C-minus. I I, that, that worked out pretty well. I, I, I wish I could say that my average was a C-minus in high school. Right. But, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to Skura. We talked about the early the early hold holding penalty. Yeah, so he, he had that early holding penalty, but he had a a uh, clean sheet otherwise. Four missed blocks, no other negative events. Uh, he's done a lot of positive things. He had three blocks in level two in this game. He had a pancake. Uh, he converted his only pull, and the pull and the pancake and one of his three highlights all came on the same play, and it was a beauty. You go to Q2, 422 to go, Watch him pull to the left. He avoided a lot of traffic in the backfield. You and I talk about that from time yeah. to time, about how if the other team gets penetration, they can screw up your pulls. Well, they had it on this play, but he was able to negotiate his way around it, get into level two, and hit Clowney right in the knees. So that was that was a very good job there. Took Clowney right down, and uh, and that was a, a run that went for no gain, but still a beautiful block. All right, um... What you haven't mentioned as we've been going through this line is that all of these guys played every 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 offensive play, except well, the, for the, the one the one with Ronnie Stanley when he went hurt and Boanka came in for one. Yeah, so Boanka came in at left guard and they moved Hurst over to left tackle right. for, for so one play. That's 60, right. 62 plays in the game and they were out there the entire time. It's very impressive. Yeah, that's normal. Your is offensive normal lineman time? should play every play. Okay. I, and then you might have a few extra plays from somebody else who's in as a sixth lineman, say... 
but uh, but it just doesn't always work out that way. They, right. uh, you know, you hope you hope it can. You're you're really great offensive linemen or the 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 regular offensive linemen. Some of them play every snap an entire season, and okay. that's certainly been the case with uh, Joe Thomas, who'd played over ten thousand consecutive snaps without ever leaving the field. Okay, all right. Well, that um, stood out to me, but that's just commonplace, I guess. Um, all right, let's get to Austin Howard. So I'm going to say Skura got a B for the game. Okay. Really, ex- he's, he's had a very underrated and I think undervalued consistency component that's not getting captured by the PFF grading. And I just want to point that out. I mean, I don't think PFF could have possibly charged him with any uh, pass rush events in this game because he didn't have any. We're both cooking with water. So, you know, we're watching the same film. Right. So the, 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 he did get – we would have gotten charged for the holding call maybe for being – pushed back a couple times into the pocket, but he's making his blocks. Even if he's not driving anybody, that still can often be the case where he's uh, holding the com- somebody else's combination block at the line of scrimmage, or he's the one moving to level two and making the combination block. And so I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with his play, and I think it's probably being undervalued currently by, by PFF, who's the other major grading outlook for offensive line play. All right. Um... Well, let's get let's get to Howard, who was the star of that line on on Monday night. Yeah, Howard, a great game. So he's been a little bit up and down this season. We know about this. He, well, the the good thing about Howard is he's never fallen off the table in any particular game. He's never had a a Cousins game or or you know some of the games that Hurst had when he was right. a tackle. But but he's he's been at least in the fifties. I think about fifty four has been his lowest for any for any game, and sixty is passing at tackle. So he, he's been. He's been good enough to, to, to get the Ravens by, but this game, A+. Plus. He only had one negative event of any sort, and it was it came in the third quarter when he got pushed back uh, and shed by number 93. That's Heath. Uh, and, and as the only negative event, he had one other missed block, and uh, he, he scored a 96 in terms of raw score, sorry, 94 in terms of raw score, that would have been up to something like 102 if I had given him the full credit for his uh, um, uh, extra extra credit points for being against Clowney and uh, level of competition and whatnot. But but uh, I never go above 100, so he gets an A+. Plus. That's the highest you can go. Great game. We would have really loved to have him on the show as a guest tonight. I'll just say that, hoping he's listening. Uh, but it didn't work out for whatever reason, and uh, we we make the invitation again at a future date. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's something that you'd look at and like, if he can, if he, how can he even build on that when you have such a good game? But if he can just continue to play at that level, that's exciting. Oh, it'd be it'd be unbelievable if he could continue to play at that level. I mean, I I love him to play at at a. B minus level the rest of the year, frankly. And I, the other thing I'd, I'd really like to know is how much he's been affected by all the rotational play at right guard. And they finally got a guy in there now who's been in there for several games. Skura. He missed a couple, but he's he's right. basically been the guy for about six, seven weeks now. And and is that really helping him at this point? Is, or, or did that they build up a rapport that they know what each other is doing and what to look for and how to handle a stunt handoff, which would be one of the big things they need to do together. Um, so. I, I would have loved to to, to kind of right. chew you, the fat on that one. Yeah, you you want to you want to talk to him and see how he developed and what got him to this A plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, is, is it something? I mean, these guys are both playing very well right now. Could it be something that 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 would continue? All right. Well, I 
think you've hinted at your defensive MVP or offensive MVP. So let's get down to the offensive MVP. Okay, so I'll give you you want you want to go first with your number three? Sure. Uh, my number three is uh, Chris Moore for his catch uh, from Sam Cook to kind of added that excitement and woke up the offense. Yeah, a very important play in the game. Moore had a couple other catches. Uh, neither of them that was for a first down, but both of them were important in terms of getting the Ravens close the, to a first and down. And the key being that when we when we got guys who are struggling to catch the ball, Moore is catching the ball, and I'd like to see him get more chances on the, on the offense. He's been well. He's been very good on special teams. I'd mm-hmm. like to see him get more of a shot on the offensive. It, it it's a it's a reasonable thing that he might, uh, and and we'll we'll see where they go with that. My number three guy, Sam Cook. So uh, he he. I, I'm giving it to him really for his punting primarily, although that play was huge, that his, uh, his one pass play. Especially across the, he, he did throw that into some coverage. Yeah, he threw it to a spot. So, right. so the, 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 he lost the guy who – Yes, and, and, and the, 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 the defensive back there, the, the, the actually the guy who's trying to stop the gunner who's, who's uh, become a defensive back at that point right. had no idea that the ball was being passed. Okay. So, so he, he threw it to a spot and Moore went to the spot and got it. And that, that was a uh, okay. very well done. So that's yeah. why they lost it because he knows where yeah. exactly where he's going to throw it. And then it's up to Moore to get to that spot at the right time. That, that's right. And as, as the, as the, uh, the guy who's blocking the gunner, you really need to watch the gunner's, legs and feet and then and then try and stay in front of him and and try and block him towards the sideline and do some things and you know Moore had to actually release like a receiver to get by him but he would do that as a gunner anyway right. then he ran to the spot while the other guy right. chased but him but you've down. got but you've got him here for his punting because I've he's had a great season yeah he really has i mean he's redefined punting to the point where other teams need to put two guys back a lot of the time to defend the entire field against where he can put the ball uh, so he said one bad punt, but but his ability to just kick a line drive when that's what it takes. He kicked a, what effectively we would have called in the 1970s a coffin corner kick that didn't. I think it went out of bounds at about the five yard line, but but it not only dropped it about the 20, it got all kinds of roll afterwards. And right. he's controlling that, by the way. That's not by accident. Cook can kick the ball two different ways, or maybe six different ways. But on how he's, he's cert- on the spin yeah. he's putting on it. That, that's right. So he, he can put backspin on the ball that makes it stop at the one yard line, or he can he can you know kick it so it follows through and rolls like a baseball would for more yards. Right. Meanwhile, if I go out and try to punt the ball, I'm lucky if it goes straight. Yeah, there you go. Uh, All right, your uh, number two. My guy. number two is Joe Flacco. Uh, he had trouble throwing the ball, but he had a good run to seal the game. And I'm gonna. And it's, it was nice to see that uh, movement from Joe Flacco, a guy who seemed like he's been a little stiff this season. He still does not know how to slide, and that's irritating <laughs> as a baseball fan. But it worked in this game. Yeah, they they made that point some various places that you, you slide with your left leg, and he always seems to slide with his you know on one knee, basically not on his hip. Yeah, he slides. <laughs> he does not slide on his hip. He slides. He drives that knee into the ground and destroys yeah. his knee brace every time. That's, that's right. So I, I, he doesn't go back. You go back on a slide, and he does not do it. And I don't understand why he does not know how to slide. Yeah, and he played. Yeah, that's right. They pointed out that he played baseball, didn't they, on the on the broadcast? Oh, I don't. I don't know about that. I just know he can't slide. <laughs> right, who's okay, your number my, two? My number two guy, Ronnie Stanley. Uh, terrific game. A big part of the uh, Jadavian Clowney shutdown and uh, 
coming at a great time. Let's hope Stanley pulls in, puts in the same kind of finishing kick this year that he had last year, because that would really be something. That'd be that make the Ravens an exciting playoff team if he could do that. All right, um, my number one is Alex Collins. I don't think we've had him as a MVP this this season. He's really they keep putting more and more work on him, and he's holding on to the ball. The fumbles have gone away. And uh, especially that rugby scrum to hold on to that and push through that was exciting. Yeah, I think that was Allen, but that's okay. Oh, that was it, Allen. Yeah. Why did I yeah, have it so, marked as Collins? No, nah, no problem. Well, Collins that, had, of course had 60 yards and 16 carries. Yeah. Right. 60 yards on 16 carries for Allen. He had the one really long run. He also had a TD run of his own from eight yards where he was barely touched. Uh, very impressive game for him, and, and uh, I, can, I can see that pick. My number one guy is Howard. I just think the offensive line won them this game. It was really one at tackle on both sides. Howard had the slightly better game. I could have put Howard slash Stanley 1-2, but that would have been almost a disservice to Howard in terms of how good his game was. So I, I, I go with Howard, Stanley, Cook are my three. Uh, see, I, I've been mixing up players again tonight, which means we're gonna get those, I'm going to get those uh, iTunes reviews again saying, Josh needs to pay more attention. What, so, what happened? I'm sorry. Oh, I was, oh you're, you're talking right. about Allen and Collins. That's right, I got those guys mixed up. So uh, it's all right. I can take it. Um, let's get to the feedback time of the show. Let's get to the film study mailbag. All this right. is where you go on Twitter, and you can send tweet at Film Study Ravens, but really you want to do the hashtag Film Study Mailbag, and that's when we can find your questions and address them on each episode. So uh, – a few questions in today. The first one I've got up here is from Chelsea Hulbert, who says, what, if any, was the strategy behind the play calling on the three-and-out offensive series that got booed during the game because it feels like there's so many passes behind the line of scrimmage? Is that part of the Ravens' strategy? Okay, so I'm trying to think of which three-and-out she means here. So there was one in the third quarter, and there was the first of the game. Now let's assume it was the first of the game. I think there were multiple frustrations that caused the uh, caused the booing. First of all, they had an eight-yard play on first down. That was a, a catch by Moore that set him up. So once you're in second and two, the crowd has a different level of expectation. They're in the game at that point as much as they'll be for the offense in a 0-0 game. And they expected more. But we had incomplete pass where uh, Jensen gave some ground. The pocket was compromised. Joe didn't have an ample time and space opportunity. But, uh, but it was an incomplete pass. And then they threw another incomplete pass when Clowney made really his, one of his best players night, a swim move to beat a double team from Hurst and, uh, and uh, Stanley to deliver a quarterback hit that didn't give Joe much of a chance there either. But being second and two, I think that's the problem from the fans' perspective and why it was booed. As far as what's the offensive philosophy, I don't really think it's any different. I think in this case it was more a case of Clowney was just beating the Ravens pretty badly. Right, and I, I, think, I think that fan frustration is coming from it seems like there's a lot of we need three and six and we throw it three yards. We throw it four yeah. yards. Um, and that's not a strategy. That's, that's the, the other guys aren't open. Maybe you can break it for a couple yards here, right? That, that's right. And I think you need to look at – risk and reward in this case. And Joe, Joe Flacco, one thing he did very well in this game was manage risk and reward. They had no turnovers. The Ravens got three turnovers. If Flacco you know, was, were Brett Favre, he might have thrown two interceptions in this game. But trying to force the ball into a window, trying to, trying to make something happen 
when it didn't need to happen. And Joe said after the game, look, if this is the way we want to win games, I, I, I'm on board. I can do it. Right. But, but I think we're going to get into the playoffs and we're going to need to suddenly turn it on in terms of the offense. And I'm paraphrasing this, of course. Yeah. But, but uh, he, uh, he, I think he's frustrated with the offense, but he says, you know, if, if it's his job to win whatever the, whatever the deal is. And I, I hope that uh, he'll be able to continue to do that, whatever it'll take. Right to Joe, get him to the playoffs. Sure. So Joe, Joe wants a more exciting offense, and that brings us to uh, at keep keep it up man who asks why have hasn't the offense used Joe more in a play action passing where he rolls out of the pocket and throws deep? He's great at that. Yeah, that that used to be a very successful play. Now we call that zone block left naked boot right is the one that they use most frequently, and the reason is they want to boot Flacco to the right because right handed quarterbacks have much more success planting their feet in that direction. Joe Flacco is actually running the wrong way for where he needs to throw when he boots to the left. So in order for that play to work, that zone block to the left has to have a two-back set. So you're using two of your offensive players, your eligible receivers right there. You need to completely fool the edge defender. It depends on fooling one particular guy who's on the back side. He needs to be fooled for that play to work. They did get him fooled once in this game. They still didn't get a good pass off, which was unfortunate. Um, and then another time, they used, they booted him to the left, which is the very unusual way. Probably only one in ten of them now that they do this way. Joe did get his feet set that time, and I thought he had a short completion on that one. Might have been as much as nine or ten yards. So I'd have to look again, but might have been a throw to Max Williams that I'm thinking of uh, earlier in the game. But, uh, but anyway, yes, I, I like the play. I like the boot. I just think that most of the other teams in the NFL, because the Ravens have been running that for all Flacco's 10 years, now are really aware of it, and, and they look for it on tape, and they, they look for it in the game. But great question. Okay. Um, at uh, Rob McDonald asks, during the Monday Night Football, Gruden said the Ravens ran a Spider 2 wide banana. What the <laughs> heck is that? And I, I think someone just bet Gruden. I bet you can't say Spider 2 banana. Or whatever it is, Spider Two Wide Banana, and he fit it into the broadcast. What See, is this play? I, I think it really is a play that he recognizes from his own playbook and his own terminology for it was Spider Two Wide Banana, and that that's fine. It 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 does not serve the public interest for Gruden to talk about that, but Gruden wanted to say, well, I know what that play is. It's Spider Two Wide Banana. Right. And, well, all, all it made me want to do is, all right, what what if this play looks like a spider? What if this play looks like a banana? All right, did the guy run in, a, in the shape of a banana? What's going on here that you would call this thing spider two wide banana? Yeah, this, it'd be an interesting question sometime. Ask Gruden if you, if, you, if you find him. But I don't know if you remember the, the Super Bowl four video is legendary for Hank Stram on the field having two things that he says. One of them is, come on, let's keep matriculating the ball down the field. You know, matriculate yeah, and roll in school. You know, it's right. matriculate the ball down the down the field. It means something different. And the other one was sixty-five toss power trap, and that was a play. <laughs> and they kept going back, and he would keep saying this. And if you go to the stadium in Kansas City, they've actually got a plaque outside where Hank of Hank Stram statue, and at the bottom of it is just the quotation: sixty-five toss power trap. You know. So, anyway, that's not a. You're you're, you're getting me thinking now. I think I'm going to come up with some T-shirts that say "Spider Two Wide Banana." <laughs> I think those would be some popular shirts. You know, it's uh, it's worth the thing, but I, I 
All of my money is tied up in other investments right now, Josh. I won't be able to contribute. Come on, it's going to have a spider on it, a banana on it, <laughs> and, and then the little football uh, play, play sketch. i got to figure out what spider 2 wide banana is, but I think it'll work out and sell well. Um, all right, Min- I love Minion Hunter. He sends questions in every week. This week he sent the world's longest question to ask, are the Ravens the type of team that, that gels late in the season? There are, there are elements of this that certainly look like it. And the offensive line play last night is a big one. You know, being able to, to come together and figure out how to stop one other team's asset. So Clowney was stopped. They did something on Clowney that you never see. You hear it talked about by people who don't really understand how blocking works. That they'll talk about, well, you don't, you don't need to just double team him. You need to triple team him. And, and people right. will say that. And you can't triple team someone in the NFL. Just a, it, it, it's hard to get three bodies around one body. Right. It's hard to space. double team without someone getting open. It, it, it is. It's hard, it's hard to double team. And, and you, know, you, you find ways to chip and try and correct the guy in a position or whatnot. But, the, but it's very hard to, trip, to double team. Well, anyway, two instances, two separate instances in this game, there actually were three guys on Clowney blocking him. Which is just, it's, it's absurd, but they figured out he's the guy they need to stop in order to win this game. They did it, and, and they successfully were able to, uh, to grind this one out, including a, a big contribution from the defense, of course. All right, well, uh, the Ravens, Jalen, let's talk about the, the rest of the season, because this Monday night is Steelers. Hey, Josh, I'm sorry. Before yeah. you go on, I've got two other questions I've got to Oh, okay, add I missed because, some questions then. Uh, yeah, I, I, you didn't miss them. I just didn't get them into the mailbag thing, and I apologize for that. But uh, we first one is, is is uh, at Mario Kane 4. And he says is, uh, thank you. His question is on the topic of the Ravens making the playoffs and d- do we have what it takes to win a second round game? And in particular, do we have the offense necessary to win a second round game? So that's good. First of all, Marco, appreciate you already giving the Ravens their first round game and the wild card. And that, right, that's right. good. Or, or maybe he thinks they're going to win the division to start with. That would be good too. But, uh, but anyway, it'd be great if, uh, if the Ravens could get to that divisional rant. And do they have that? They will have to go on the road to either Pittsburgh or New England and beat either of those teams uh, with what I mean, they have here. My, his, my history, answer is yes. Well, that's history. History says <laughs> yeah. you don't count out Joe Flacco and John Harbaugh in the playoffs no matter what. And you, and you really don't count out the Ravens' defense on the road in the playoffs ever. Right. So I, I'm, uh, this is a very talented defensive team, and nothing this team would do would really shock me in terms of how far, far they would go this year. Right now, the uh, DeVoa says they're the second-best team in the AFC. They have the best special teams, they have the best defense, and they have the 26th-best offense in the National Football League. Obviously, the easy place to, to improve among those three categories is going to be the 26th offense. Right. So hopefully they'll be able to, to, to find some way to develop an offensive identity, probably by having this offensive line gel and stay together that will, that will work. All I've right. got one other yeah. question here Get I to need it. to find because this fan got it in. I don't want to miss it. It is Stacy, who said, and she is at SoulSista49, says... I read a post that said Ravens can't turn a wide receiver, can't make a wide receiver elite because of the type of offense we have. Perriman is proof. So, no. What? What? We, okay. I don't that, buy that's, that. You don't buy that, and that's that's fair enough. I do think the Ravens, and to Stacy's uh, point here, need to develop the proper coaching methods to improve receiving skills of their players. And we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about DeAndre Hopkins, but, but this is something that 
is missing, generally speaking, from Perriman is receiving skills. Right. It's not physical skills. He needs to figure out how to not be distracted, how to how to get out of breaks, how to how to work through contact, how to get off the line of scrimmage at all. I mean, there's so many things wrong with what with Perriman's receiving skills and things things that he made up for by being a bigger, stronger, faster guy at every level coming up to this. Yeah, I'd now say- that he's. I was just going to say, you go back and listen to the previous episode where we went through the defense, but where we compared Perriman to Hopkins. Right. Well, Stacey, we really do appreciate the question, and I uh, hope, you'll, hope and, you'll jump in again. And I would use Torrey Smith as an, as an example of the Ravens can build a wide receiver because I don't think he's really put up the type of numbers and play that he since he's left Baltimore. Yeah, he did work very well with Flacco. Torrey had more receiving talent than Perriman, but yeah, he's he's he hasn't done as much since he left Baltimore. Right. Um, all right. Let's now let's talk about the the future because Monday Night Football this coming week is Steelers Bengals, and a couple of weeks ago I thought it would be obvious who to root for. It's not so obvious to me right now, um, as the Ravens are six and five, the Bengals are five and six, Steelers are on top of the division at nine and two, um, and the People talk like the. I heard a lot of talk about the Steelers having the easy schedule, but I think they have the hardest schedule out out of these three teams. Okay, well they still play the Patriots, right? So the Ravens, the next. Let's just look at three weeks. Mm-hmm. So the Ravens have Lions, Steelers, Browns. The Bengals, uh, the Bengals have the Steelers, the Bears, the Vikings, and then the Steelers have the Bengals, the Ravens, the Patriots. Those could be some tough games. Two yeah. Divi- two division games and then the Patriots. That's that, that's right. And then they have the Texans and Browns to finish it off. They're right. at Houston. Maybe Houston can do us a favor. I doubt it. They they play at home against the Browns. I think I'd pretty much rule that one out as a right. as a potential win. It, just if nothing, because Cleveland's not giving up the number one draft pick at that point. Right. No. <laughs> and right. If you want to be positive, the the best case scenario, the Steelers lose to the Bengals, Ravens, and Patriots, and we're looking right. at an eleven and five team. That's right. So we should know very quickly whether or not there's a there's a chance for the Ravens to win this. In fact, if I, I'd be shocked if we don't know by the end of the December 10th game where the Ravens play at Pittsburgh, because it will certainly okay. the Ravens will right. either lose a game or they'll gain a game on that day unless there's a tie. But if the tie, they'll they'll effectively lose an opportunity to gain a game, and and it will be done. But but if they uh, if they win that game, yeah, they're, they're still in the division hunt. And, and a win at Pittsburgh in that game will virtually guarantee the wild card spot because that's the most likely loss that the Chargers are depending on among two that they okay. need. Okay. So, so for this coming week, though, we want to root for the Bengals to beat the Steelers, right? Even I, though, I even though so. we're in a wild card battle with the Bengals, the, that, the, that's right. I, I, I still, I do like the idea of the Bengals beating the Steelers for a lot of reasons. I, I you know. This is obviously the game's being played at Cincinnati. So, in terms of the portent or the the what this really means for the for the rest of the season, I don't think it means that much if the Bengals beat the Steelers at home. The Steelers right. have already been beaten by some pretty mediocre teams this year. To, yes. that, well, they got beat same by the Bears anyway. Yeah, same as the Ravens. Jacksonville is a you know each of us lost to Jacksonville. Right. That was a good team in both cases, but but, but uh, the, the Steelers struggled uh, against the Packers this past week. They did. They struggled against the Packers. They beat the them, but they struggled. And they, they beat the Chiefs, too, 19-13. And that, that win ain't looking too good right now. Right, right. I mean, it was, now, I mean, you know. to think positive that the Ravens even even have a shot at the at the division, they'd have to win out. 
they'd have they'd have to win the next five games. That's right. So it's That's you're right. still probably looking at a wild card slot for the Ravens. But at least for one more week, we can cheer uh, against the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, that's another way to say it. If the Ravens did win all five of these games, um, the, the, the key game then is that the Steelers have to lose a game to the Bengals or the Browns. So Right, and it's I not going to be the Browns. Yeah, and they, and they play the Patriots at home, so it's probably not going to be the Patriots either, honestly. Right, but, so but it, they, but, they probably have the, the division. Yeah. But it's, it's not counted out yet. Yep, I agree. All right, Ken. Uh, well, again, it was great to go through this offense with you uh, like we normally do. We talked about your article on uh, Russell Street Report talking about the comparing the 2008 Ravens, Joe Flacco's rookie year, and that offense. Um, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. So, so they, can, they can go out to Russell Street Report for the article, got time references, use your game pass with it. There's all kinds of time references in this one that are specific to pass rush events or really nice highlight blocks. Uh, find me on Twitter at Film Study Ravens, and we have an active discussion all day. Uh, since I'm retired, I, I have my tweet deck up all day, and I'm en- enjoying that, uh, uh, responding when questions come in, loving your mailbag questions, and uh, don't, don't be afraid to reach out. Josh, y- your show, tell them about that. My show is Section 336. I'd really appreciate it if you would go on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use on your phone and just uh, hit subscribe to that, just like you do to Film Study Mailbag, uh, Film Study with Ken McCusick. Do the same exact thing. Uh, We talk Baltimore sports, a lot of Orioles, but we get into the Ravens as well and in a more laid-back fan like a a, a bunch of guys sitting at a bar. All right. So, All right, Ken, have a great weekend, and we will speak next week after hopefully the Ravens win their third in a row. Yep, we'll talk to you Monday, Josh.
Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.